On this episode of the Peter Panda Podcast, we're spinning wool and talking all things Merino with Mike Summerby of Duckworth, the world's only source-verified, 100% Montana-grown Merino wool clothing company. Start to finish, Duckworth curates and controls the entire production process of their wool and garments. From their free-ranging herd of Merino sheep in Dillon, Montana, to their U.S. textile partners, and ultimately their final branded and tagged merchandise, Duckworth Wool is uniquely living up to their motto, from sheep to shelf. So listen up. If you thought wool garments were nothing but old school itchy sweaters for your grandpa, you're about to learn how brands like Duckworth continue to develop and improve this renewable, natural material we as humans have been cultivating for over 13,000 years. Wool. Yeah, we got that truck last summer, got a custom wrap on it um at the rap agency things a beast gets a lot of people excited on main street it's called a chevy van chevy van i had never seen one of these before yep that's a good looking van mm-hmm. does that shade of orange have a col- have a name uh duckworth blaze well you know it's it's funny i kind of just know it by the hex number but it's oh that's funny i know it sounds a little dorky but well, what F- is the hex number fd5609 <laughs> Google it, people. Yeah. You see this color, and you can picture this van sitting in front of my house right now. It's quite iconic. Yeah, it's, I it's love a good. It. It's a good shade, and actually, the uh, the people that did the wrap originally just did the orange, and they were like, we were a little freaked out. It was a little too orange, and then they threw the decals up, and they're like, wow, it actually came out pretty sweet. The white accent, the logo, the white accents, yep. all that stuff. Yeah, no, yep. it looks great. So what does the quote on the side say? It says, performance gear for folks who, who don't give a sheep about fast fashion and fleeting trends, just homegrown, American-made quality every time. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're curious who you're listening to, I'm sitting here with my friend, Mike Summerby. And you just uh, corrected me on the enunciation of your last name, because I would have said it wrong. You said, like the season and like the, like the insect. Or yep. what did you say? Like the season and the insect. Yeah. yeah it's the easy way to remember it. I'll, I will literally never forget it. Perfect. So, Mike, you work for Duckworth Wool. Mm-hmm. Tell me about Duckworth. We're, we're in Belgrade, shout out, but Duckworth's a Bozeman-based yeah, so we ha- we clothing have, company. Yeah, we, we, we have sort of, I guess you could say, two different headquarters, right? We have an operational headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. Um, we're actually, for anyone that's familiar with Bozeman, we're just above Schnee's on Main Street, perfect location, right downtown. It's not a storefront, but it just gives us a really nice uh, space to be right there in downtown. That was a real good, really gorgeous Duckworth display within the flagship store of yep. Schnee's downtown. So if yep. you're in Bozeman, go to Schnee's for a lot of different reasons, but to check out some of uh, the wool products from Duckworth that we're going to dive into here. Yeah. So y'all's head, corporate headquarters call it, or... Uh, Upstairs, downtown Bozeman. Yep, exactly. And then our second headquarters, which is really where the sausage is made, per se, is uh, is actually out in Dillon, Montana. And that's where we have roughly 10,000 sheep running around in the prairies and gravelly mountains. Um, Really beautiful country, um, totally untouched. It's just still kind of a a way of life that hasn't really changed too much out there. And it's, it's a great place to obviously raise some of the best wool in the world. So... Yeah, I confessed uh, to you when you came through the door. You caught me watching uh, Duckworth YouTube videos, and there's some really great branding videos and product videos online, if anybody wants to look those up as well. Um, But it does show the Dillon, Montana uh, headquarters and 
some of the country that y'all raise these sheep in and shear these sheep in. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into all of that. Uh, but it's Dillon, Montana, which what would you call that? Southwest, Mon- the Definitely, very, very yeah. southwest. Almost as southwest as it can get. I mean, you're probably, I don't know, at a good clip, maybe 30 minutes from Idaho. Salmon, you could dip down into sort of the Idaho Falls, Pocatello area pretty easily. Maybe an hour north up to Butte. It's 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 really pretty out there, but it gets a bit more arid than it is over here in the Gallatin Valley. So it's almost like a completely different um, set of terrain conditions. Almost like a high prairie or high desert, a Definitely little bit high prairie. But those sheep live in very uh, diverse locations and conditions throughout the year, which is a factor that goes into the wool production, mm-hmm. uh, which we're going to get into. Um, but it's a really beautiful, special place, and. That's kind of where the story of Duckworth began. So let's start with this. What does Duckworth mean? You know, Duckworth, the name has a uh, interesting piece of lore around it, actually. And I, w- I wasn't around. So I've been the marketing director for about three years now here at Duckworth. And um, the name, you can ask a couple different people and you'll get a couple different stories. I like it. And I wasn't around for the original naming, but the one that seems to be closest to the fact here is that... Um, at its genesis, Duckworth pulled together a number of different personalities and pieces of expertise to get something as unique as Montana-grown, American-made, premium-quality merino wool gear off the ground. And one of those people was a man named Graham Stewart. And Graham Stewart is actually an Englishman, and he comes from the Midlands of the UK, which you could probably equate a lot to our Rust Belt. You know, it's very industrial. Okay. It's gritty. It's blue collar. Kids start working blue collar jobs right away. You know, it's just it just kind of has that sort of vibe to it. And um, Graham actually uh, cut his teeth in a dyeing facility in the Midlands. So obviously the UK is famous for its wool. And so he was there learning to dye wool probably as a young teenager into his later teen years. And he had this curmudgeon sort of I guess pretty uh, hardcore type of dude that was his boss, this older man named Mr. Duckworth. And um, Is that right? Yeah. And so the company was looking for a couple names, and Duckworth just sounds crisp. It has sort of an outdoorsy hunter feel to it, and um, it was an homage to Graham's um, – Herd bull back in the day. Yeah, exactly. His mentor. Yeah, his mentor. And, and you know, he'd probably say that that's where the spark was, but he has, um, from what I know, led a pretty – prolific life and and wool and textile cultivation yeah so yeah i've I've had the pleasure of meeting graham once upon a time and Mm -hmm. i uh actually just saw him and talking in one of those videos Mm -hmm. and he spoke to his uh you know 40 plus years in the industry yeah the wool that uh duckworth is producing and manufacturing with today is the finest product he's ever seen or dreamt of. Absolutely. And he's sort of a mad scientist too. He, he was able to take that wool and create a number of different blends um, and weights that have actually, um, you know, given the user a number of different use cases and a number of different performance qualities. Let's, uh, let's, let's back up to the origins. So Duckworth, how, how old is uh, this company? Duckworth is just coming up on about 10 years old. It's That's actually nine, nine and change. Okay. Yep. I think next year is where we're, you know, technically the business was formed 10 years ago, but really where operationally speaking, you could actually buy a product was about nine years ago. Okay. Yep. And the slogan, uh, what it's on your hood, the hood of your car. Sheep to shelf. Sheep to shelf. Yep. 
uh, I wanted to say like field to table or something, but it's your guys' yeah. interpretation of that. Absolutely. Sheep to shelf. Um, so tell me what's unique about Duckworth and that what you guys are doing, where you're doing it, how you're doing it. What What's the pitch? What's the story that makes this a unique brand? Yeah. How, well, how that relates to sheep to shelf is that when you look at a larger company or a company that manufactures wool goods overseas, right? They have maybe a dozen plus suppliers of wool that are from all over the world. Um, they blend that all together. Then they ship that off to another country to get it spun. Then they ship that off to another country to get it woven into fabrics and then into finished goods. And what you have is this really nuanced, massive supply chain that is spanning multiple continents all at once. Um, and there's a number of, uh, of things that are wrong with a model like that. For one, I mean, I'm actually from New England originally. And if you have ever seen the movie The Fighter or if you've ever spent any time in, in New England at all, you'll see that there are just these dilapidated mill towns that are the result of American industry pulling out to overseas manufacturing almost yeah. overnight. Yeah, and I want to I dive into that on why today U.S. manufactured uh, textiles and clothing are uh, very – few and far between and often an expensive, uh, not sensible option for some of these companies, mm -hmm. but you guys have grabbed the bull by the horns Definitely. And, and you've brought back, uh, you continue U S manufacturing of a wool textile beginning to end yep. from and sheep to shelf. Exactly. And so that just really encapsulates the, the sort of the crispness and the, um, and just sort of how small our supply chain is by comparison. I mean, our supplier for wool are literally our co-founders, the Halley family out in Duck or out in Dillon. Yeah. And they've been ranching now for four generations. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of expertise built in right there. But you can know exactly when you put on a Duckworth garment where that wool is coming from, which is I mean, totally unique. So walk me, walk me through that. Uh, if I'm a, if I'm a little baby lamb, mm -hmm. first of all, is Merino a, uh, a breed? It's a breed. So it'd be kind of like a Labrador retriever next to a, you know, a, a wiener dog. So tell, tell me about a Merino, uh, sheep and what makes it a Merino sheep and why can I shear that, that doll sheep over there in the corner and make wool? I don't think I can. You cannot. And, uh, I'm what, not going to try. And so, well, there's actually another fun piece of history behind uh about behind merino as a breed it goes obviously a lot further back than um duckworth but so way back in the day the kingdom of spain had this breed of sheep called merino sheep and they produced you know around the the western world and beyond people knew that this was the place to get your wool this was the finest grade quality wool and basically back then they only had cotton and wool to really make clothing out of and why was merino wool better than the neighbor's wool so it has an outstanding amount of crimp it's really soft there's a lot less itchiness i mean if you look at some of the breeds of sheep that people make clothing out of it's very coarse it it just doesn't feel that great next to skin you might think of maybe it's a, a more comfortable oh, uh, much higher more performing wool definitely so uh let's back up from that what is wool so wool, and this is uh, starting to test the extremes of my scientific knowledge. Just, of just on a uh, kindergarten level. Okay. So when we think of our hair, it is a keratin-based fiber. Mm -hmm. And wool is actually a protein-based fiber, which comes with a number of evolutionary benefits. Um, sheep are a originally desert creature. And so they would have to withstand 
immense heat during the day and very cold temperatures at night. And so this was mother nature's way of inventing sort of a shield to Hmm. navigate a temperature swing that could amount to a hundred plus degrees in a certain, you know, a single day. So it reacts, um, quite differently than human hair to things like water introduction. It actually becomes warmer when it's damp. Um, which is so counterintuitive, like that's hard to wrap your brain around. Absolutely. Um, that this fiber would absorb the water and almost work harder for you. Yep. There are stories actually of wool sorting facilities uh, in New Zealand spontaneously combusting because water got into the middle of a pile of wool. it got too hot. It got too hot, and then suddenly the whole place is on fire. Get out of it. It's like a nuclear reactor having some meltdown. Exactly. So I've actually been out in the rain in Duckworth and felt perceivably warmer than I did before that rain started to fall. Well, it's no secret. You mean, you look at old mountain men or old, you know, any old timer, uh, they probably got on a heavy, heavy wool shirt. Yep. And that's what I think a lot of people perceive the wool, uh, product in the category of wool as a whole as, is it's a really heavy, warm, itchy mm-hmm. jacket or pant. Yep. Um, and it's great. It's going to keep you warm even when you're wet. There's other benefits to it we'll get into about antimicrobial. Um, but it's probably very heavy and very itchy. And I have a half a closet full of Duckworth. And none of it's like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's extremely, yeah. Uh, it's extremely luxurious. And some of the pieces I have are lightweight and breathable and not itchy at all. I mean, soft as cotton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm wearing one right now, the Vapor Tea. Yeah, it's one amazing. of my favorite pieces. Yep. I got a Vapor hoodie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that thing. It's amazing. I just was in Alaska for 14 days on a hunt, and um, I had Duckworth bottoms, long johns mm-hmm. on for 14. I didn't change my long johns right. in 14 days. Yeah. And I had a couple pairs of Duckworth socks, only a couple that I rotated through, and everything two weeks in was I smelled, they didn't smell. Yeah, that's another one of the be- the benefits there of the uh, protein-based fiber. Uh, bacteria just doesn't bind to it the same way. There isn't that opportunity for whatever happens on an atomic level for bacteria to sit and create that stink and proliferate. It just kind of sheds off huh. a wool fiber. And it's it's because it's a protein-based fiber from mm-hmm. an animal that yep. Yep. was dealing with the same things mm-hmm. we're dealing with out in the elements. Exactly. So wool is uh, the hair, the protein-based hair Mm -hmm. off of a merino sheep. Mm -hmm. Or any sheep, but in our our case, merino wool, yeah. Okay. Um, And tell me about the process of uh, a lamb growing up, being sheared annually, biannually? Once every spring. We start about in March, and it kind of goes through right about now, maybe mid to late May. And what, what, so walk me through a year in the life of a Duckworth sheep. Yeah. And this, you know, we'll, we'll have to brush over a couple pieces that we can dive into a little bit later. Um, but you are a lamb, you're born out there, um, probably in a lambing barn. And that's just about the only time next to shearing that you'll ever be indoors. Um, really? Yeah, really, truly. I mean, you probably spend first 12 to 24 hours of your life indoors. They're a little feral. Yeah. They're a little oh, wild yeah. out there. Absolutely. And so, so it's kind of funny because I've been at sheep operations where those sheep are constantly kept in pens and around people. Hmm. And they're kind of like petting zoo animals. You know, they'll, they'll approach you. They're very 
they're very used to human beings. When you deal with our sheep, I mean, they see you and they start to scatter. Yeah, so they're they're kind of like cool. wild animals. It makes me like them more. Yeah, no, they're definitely certainly the quality of life has to be better. Oh, for sure. And so you're a lamb. You probably do about two or three months sitting there down in the lowland prairies, and then every summer we move them up into the mountains where there's a lot more pasture. Um, it's a forest service lease. They get access to um, a lot of great green forage all summer long. Obviously, as the prairies dry out, and then in the fall we move them back down, feed them with hay. Um, but again, there's 10,000, so there's not, you know, 10,000 sheep sitting around the barn. Yeah. Um, they're scattered, you know, you have to drive sometimes 30 to 45 minutes just to get access to certain bands of sheep. And you're bringing them in the fall, you're bringing them down to headquarters yep. in different waves. Yep. Different waves. Exactly. Um, there's four bands of about 2,500 sheep total. And I, I watched a video about, uh, I think it was called uh, on the sheep trail or yep. something sheep trail. like sheep yep. trail. Yeah. Uh, where the heli boys are out with their sheep and I think they're bringing them in in the fall. And tell me how like the diversity of that life in comparison to other sheep produce, uh, wool producers in the world. So let's back up from that. Where besides Dillon, Montana is the world producing the majority of Merino wool? I could tell you, I think I hear about Australia and New Zealand mm -hmm. would have been my like jerk, uh, response to that question. Yep. But you had mentioned the UK, which... I don't know if they have a ton of Merino over there. Um, they have a couple of, I don't know if you'd call them native breeds, but certainly breeds that originated in the UK that they've really... Oh, you can picture you yeah. can picture like the Highland, the European Highlands. Exactly. Certainly some, a shepherd with some sheep in there and a totally. long history of that. Yeah. Um, but is Australia and New Zealand Australia popularly Zealand. accepted as like the major producers of it? I would say probably the grand majority of merino wool being geared towards clothing production is in Australia and New Zealand. And the majority of those producers are doing uh, are part of the bigger machine that you described to us, where they're they're selling to a textile, mm -hmm. the textile is selling to a, a dyer, and exactly, it, it's going from hand to hand to hand on this yep. bigger exactly messier system mm -hmm. um so when they come in in the fall that's when they get sheared uh they get sheared in the spring actually so oh, okay you know they've been down there they've survived the winter um which around is, headquarters around headquarters which i use the word survive deliberately i mean that's probably one of the things that is unique to a montana or northern rockies based operation compared to australia i mean australia i can't speak to every piece of the country but you know it's a lot more temperate climate it doesn't go from minus 40 in the winter to 95 during the summer. Um, and our sheep have to endure that sort of change annually. Um, and through that, their wool is actually, um, you know, the same way that uh, the body might react to, to changes of season. You know, there's, there's mechanisms within them on a biological level that make that wool so fine and adept to handling that wide range of climates that that's, sort of a superpower that we harvest every spring. And is it a, is it a measurable difference? It is definitely a measurable difference. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can feel it particularly in what's known as, um, well, it's sort of, it, there's a, there's a fancy word from it that I can, I, I sometimes fail to pronounce. It's micrometer, micrometer. Um, if you were to say it phonetically, they but, both sound pretty good to me. Yeah, there we go. But so that difference in, uh, in diameter of that fiber is really a result of actually a much harsher 
living situation than if they were, you know, just fed with hay year round, never had to really endure a massive temperature swing. Totally. Yeah. The, the, they're hardier. They're much hardier. And their wool shows that. Yep. And it's, it's, it's a burlier Merino sheep. Totally. And it's, it's actually counterintuitive because if they were able to just eat hay all year round, essentially they would not need to have all of that caloric intake and they would put that out into the fiber rather our sheep are needing that nutritional energy to like maintain it's like a more refined output so it's actually counterintuitive the 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 wool is actually thinner and feels a little bit less uh dense than you would have a merino operation elsewhere and it's because their body is trying to maintain that homeostasis the way that we do i totally understand what's that excess is then put out into that wool which is a which is a more refined exactly uh, output. Uh huh. Yeah. Whereas if you're living fat and pretty and in warm temperatures, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I can see a lot of like ana- human analogies to what, sure. what you eat and what you look like, exactly. what you pump out. And it it sounds a little again counterintuitive because you're thinking that wow, okay, so they're living in this environment that's more natural. You think they'd make a a thicker wool? It's really that's not, exactly what I would have thought. It's it's the opposite. It doesn't make them any less prepared it just actually allows them to be more adaptable interesting Mm -hmm. yeah it's totally interesting their their uh biological needs you know from Mm -hmm. what they're eating go to fat and meat and bone production and wool maybe last and that produces a a more refined higher quality piece of merino wool yep so they survived the winter Mm -hmm. and we had a nasty winter this year. We had a very nasty. Do y'all have die like die off like an elk herd would have? Uh, you know, I mean, once they kind of make it to that, you know, when we think of eating lamb, for example, it's usually something close to a yearling type of animal. I mean, that that animal's been alive for ten to twelve months. So I don't want to cut off the the wool production circle, mm-hmm. but I want to know if these sheep ultimately end up on the dinner table or not some of them do actually and the weathers do um or at least a crop of the weathers what's do. a weather so weather is a lot like a steer it's a castrated male got it and those so, are the first dude you, if you've born a male yeah, into any no, of these operations <laughs> i don't care what if you're a cow if you're a sheep it's you yeah. got the short end of the stick well man. at least that year alive however is is of really high quality i mean you're you're literally like a a wild animal i mean Mm. you are roaming the mountains you are running around doing kind of whatever you want to do within the confines of whatever your shepherd really wants you to be but you're you're a herd animal out in the mountains versus just sitting in a pen waiting to you know eventually become a, a lamb chop totally um and it's just so unique and then you get into the the spring and you guys are gonna shear them yep Yep. So they come down, they, they survived that winter. Um, at that point they're pretty hardy and there's a good chance that they're, they're fluffed up. They're fluffed up. You see them or, you know, you drive around Montana. Yep. Exactly. And they're, they're, they're hardier at that point. They're strong. Um, they're shorn, you know, some of the weathers again, then get, uh, get processed for food. Um, our, our buyers typically tend to be high end restaurants actually. So yeah. the, the meat is still really high quality and that's actually, more of the business of the ranch than Duckworth itself. Duckworth doesn't really have anything to do with that portion of the business. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our founders it's still just have a, a ranching bi- operation. It's just a part of the bi- a byproduct of the exactly. operation. Yeah. And then the ewes are, um, well, what happens with every shearing session is that we put the each and every single fleece into a um, pretty high-tech machine that measures the 
uh, sort of average diameter of that fleece. And that mm -hmm. allows us to then um, say, okay, this is super fine. Let's make it into a t-shirt where it can be against the chest and not be itchy at all. Okay, this is a little coarser. Let's make it into socks where it's a bit more less sensitive skin. And each batch, mm -hmm. depending on what those sheep were eating in the last year and the weather they endured mm -hmm. and all these other variables, the whole batch is going to be kind of a specific, unique. Yeah, uh, completely. Interesting. So you will designate certain batches for certain products. Definitely. And then we can then say, okay, this lamb make really high quality wool. Mm. Let's make sure that this ewe is then bred with a ram that we've selected that also has really fine quality wool. And we can continue to just make sure that constantly the, yep, refining those genetics. It. Yep, yeah, exactly. Um, how, how long does a, a sheep live? You talk about renew, renewable resource wool. You're doing this once a year with the same animal. Yep. So I'd say about 10 years. Okay. 10 to 12 years. And um, do they have do sheep have single lambs or twins? They can have up to triplets. Really? I've seen triplets. They might have, uh, I guess it'd be quadruplets, I think is the word. But What's, uh, the, what's the norm? The norm is usually a single lamb, okay. but it's not terribly unusual to have twins. Got it. Yep. Uh, just a pretty efficient, renewable resource. Totally. And each sheep makes about 15 t-shirts worth of wool every year. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. When I see a big fluffed up sheep that I'm like, man, that thing needs a haircut. Yep, exactly. I'm looking at 15 garments. Just about for us. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about the shearing process. I know you all have a big, uh, big rendezvous. What do you call it? You got a name? The shear and shred. Shear and shred. Tell yeah. me about that event. So th this is just one of the iterations of us doing the shearing because, you know, it's about a two to three month long process. Um, but all around the country, wherever sheep are needing to be shorn, there are traveling crews of shears that are just, I mean, that's what they do. They're totally specialized. If you've ever seen a video of someone shearing a sheep, it's a, uh, it's a little frightening because they manhandle these sheep. Yep. I think they, they flip them on their back or sit them on their butt uh -huh. where they're very, they look very vulnerable, but they don't fight it. Nope. And so actually, they're in control of them. Yeah. And the shearing, it's just, uh, they go so good ones are going really quick and yep. being like these perfect stroke. It's very satisfying to watch, but I also have to believe that those shears are mildly dangerous and those guys are paid because they're good at what they're doing and they don't mess up completely. Actually the technique that you're seeing is um, it has been designed and refined over, you know, millennia at this point to actually have the lowest impact on the stress of the sheep. So when you see them and they're not struggling, it's almost like they're kind of in a state of, you know, they're let, they're, they're, they're like uh, okay catatonic for a sec. They're like, okay, I'm that's sitting exact, on my butt and great, I don't know what's going what on, like. but now I'm getting this haircut and it's kind of scratching that itch I've had for a year. And like, it's not so bad. A, a good shear or two, kind of like, you know, when you have that satisfaction of peeling an orange in one go, it's, they want to get that fleece and what, you know, a single stroke of, well, not necessarily a single stroke, but almost that the entire thing peels off like one. Oh, just like a single blanket. layer, like a blanket, like exactly. The whole, okay, that makes sense. Yep. You're not going to have a bunch of strips. Yep. Because they want to create a slab. Exactly, because then you, what you'd have otherwise are known as second or third cuts, and that's where you've cut the the fiber to different lengths, and you might have unusable fibers at that point. So huh. you're maximizing the use, and it's also, again, um, the fastest way to get it off the sheep so you can give it a little spanking back out into the pen, and it can go back to growing some wool and, and live peacefully. Yeah, they look so... Uh 
like violated after they, they <laughs> I mean, do look a little they naked. look a little naked and a little confused um well it's kind of like but they're right on their way to growing that whole thing again totally and it's kind of like i don't know if you've ever had a big beard and i've, I've certainly let it grow out a couple times but when you shave your face you're kind of like who's that guy yeah. like, what the heck just happened well there's also a feeling of like a, it's liberating it's like yeah feel free exactly uh we have to do it too because otherwise they'd continue to grow that fleece and there are some uh, stories of sheep that have gotten out into the wild in places like New Zealand, and they've done five years of growing. Yeah, you I can picture. You I can, can just see their like nose sticking out of like a. And it's feel just, bad for them. It's it's definitely not a a good place for them to be. No, no. Yeah, imagine get real hot real quick. Very hot, and you just. I mean, obviously, you struggle to move. Um, it's 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 the it's the humane thing to do. Really, is to 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 get that fleece off of them. So shear and shred is your big shearing event. Mm -hmm. uh, do you shear all of the Duckworth wool in that one? Nope. So is that a spread out? It's spread out, and that is just sort of a a way for us to bring together all the partners involved. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the internal cool. company, and then the I keep waiting for my invite, and I haven't gotten one. Yet. Well, we'll have to get you out I, there. I've heard it, about it. It's a for total several blast. years now. Yeah, yeah it's sounds a total like blast. A and then we sort of culminate that with a big lamb dinner feast and then the next day we go out skiing at a local ski hill called maverick mountain it's a single chairlift oh, it's yeah. totally old school it's frozen in time and um and that's you know as legend would have it where the brand idea was actually conceived on that chairlift really? right there yeah very cool yep um so what happens next so the the sheep get sheared the wool is separated from the animal mm -hmm. we have a batch you guys measure the micrometer with the micrometer and you're looking at you're looking at the the width of the fiber exactly and yep. the crimp quality mm -hmm. what i heard about this word crimp like what does the crimp do what why is that important crimp is it looks like if you're holding a piece of uh shorn fleece in your hands it looks like a zigzag pattern where where each zig is maybe about a centimeter long and it kind of zigzags up the whole length of the fiber and essentially that's kind of like that's that's natural loft right there you know it, it keeps the hot air in or it keeps the hot air out depending mm, on the seat that makes sense yeah so when you have a creates really, airspace yeah so when you were pointing to that doll sheep over there you can see that that sheep has really straight looking hair right kind of how we would think of a, a human's hair or a dog's hair and um that just doesn't hold that same sort of i mean i'm sure that that sheep has a number of different adaptations living where it does to survive the climate that it does sure but when you need to go from such an extreme heat to such an extreme cold you really need a a loft and an insulator it's the same way you put you know foam insulation in your wall it keeps the hot out during the summer that's and keeps right the, the warm in during the winter that's right and so i've seen these pictures of these like big bag these like giant bags full of like raw wool yeah I imagine that stuff's like pretty dirty uh, yep, what, what happens next what's the processing of this so that wool is then um sent to a facility in the carolinas um and that place um well, but it doesn't leave duckworth like you guys own this process beginning to end where this is the difference of other wool producers when they shear it they sell it off, never see it again, never yeah. hear about it again, and uh, they're done. No, nope. we, we, we have that end up returning to us. Even if our supply chain isn't fully integrated where we have to have third-party partners within the middle of the supply chain, we own the front and back Yeah, totally. So we will send this off to a, um, a scouring facility. They'll clean it. Um, we'll get it spun. We'll get it turned into fabrics that we have designed with the help of Graham Stewart. And So they clean it, 
they got to clean it up mm-hmm. uh, through several baths, and then spinning that wool into yarn. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, yarn can come in several different. Yep. Diameters and mm-hmm. products. I'm sure. Yep. Um, what does that look like? Do they I imagine like a giant like food processor or something like weaving like tumbling it until it's a string or something or to like a spider web so when well when it's uh scoured it's turned into a material known as top it kind of looks a lot like white cotton candy um and then that material is fed via almost it looks like a rope of cotton candy going into a machine where it will then be separated out into those individual fibers and spun into a yarn based on the density that we're going for for wow. that specific end product. And after it's in wool form, mm-hmm. it's a strand of wool, uh, then it gets it could get dyed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just a, just coloring. Yep, exactly. No yep. no uh benefits besides adding color to it. And then from there it goes to an American textile and is mm-hmm. Yep. So woven ev- into a, a product. Everything is done in the United States, and and we work with people that are um, at this point specialists in those um, those blends and fabrics that we've designed. That are some of that secret sauce that really makes it for um, a great product, no matter where you're going to end up being out in the backcountry, but or what time of year rather. Um, and we we manage every piece of that supply chain, and then it gets. Um, you know, bagged, boxed, and sent to Missoula, which is where our warehouse is, and you can go online and then pick up whatever you need. Yeah, are you guys customer direct? Uh, yep. Is Sinead's the only Sinead's retail space? Is the only retail space. We did have um, dozens of actual retail spaces before the pandemic. Did you reeled it back in? Well, that's why I was hired on, actually, is to help bring this business from a brick-and-mortar model to an e-commerce model. Um, there's a number of benefits. Obviously we keep more margin. It's more expensive to produce in the United States. That's why everyone's moved over to China and Vietnam. Oh, there's, there's the whole process. I mean, y'all aren't taking any shortcuts. You, if anything, you're going out of your way to spend more money. Yeah, uh, it's a lot more expensive, but to create the, with this end goal in mind of producing the finest Merino wool products in the world. Yep. And I think you've, Duckworth has succeeded. Well, that's what, that's what kind of pisses me off. And I think puts a a little bit of a fire in our belly, generally speaking as a brand. Um, If you look at our products and you look at a competitor's product, they're just about the same exact price point, maybe five to $10 difference. Is that right? Which means that they're, they're definitely making a bit more cash off of you. Interesting. And they're doing it in a lot. So you guys are so competitively priced with completely competitively priced. Yeah, but, they're, but you know, doing it, doing it a little more honorably. And we're maybe. supporting American communities and American jobs. and All over the place. Exactly. I mean, there are just thousands of hands that probably touch, you know, every piece of our product. Uh, what's the turnaround from the time you cut the wool off the sheep to it's in a shirt? Is that like a two-year process? A year? Uh, you know, that, that's kind of the trick of, of a business like this is that if we had, you know, when, when businesses moved overseas, a lot of expertise died off, right? There used to be a ton of wool production in this country. Now there's not so much. So is that the correlation with NAFTA and U.S. textiles just becoming non-existent? We used to be the textile powerhouse of the world. Right. I mean, from about 1800 to probably 1940, I mean, this is where things got made into clothing. And then I believe it was in the dawn of NAFTA that U.S. textiles were kind of the you know, took the, took the blunt of that blow. Right. And, uh, 
Asian manufacturing was able to do it so cheaply that uh, it it uh, it killed the U.S. textiles. They couldn't keep up with them. We're, you know, we're we're Americans and we're capitalists for sure, right? Yeah. But you know, there if you were to look at everything from a purely dollars and cents standpoint, it is more cost effective to do something over in Asia or in South America. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily make it right. I heard a giant textile was just built in Louisiana. Um, there's some major, major clothing producer. I think it might be cotton or something. But they built a, a very cutting it. I, I think it's coming back a little bit. It, I'd like to believe. Well, that's. I mean, that's part of our mission. We we don't want to just necessarily own this market. We want to help facilitate reason for companies and mills and factories, facilities, cut and sews to proliferate. Or, across the country like they were here a century ago we don't we don't want to have it be like it's just duck horse game mm -hmm. you know we want to have um a place and fostering an environment where clothing for americans is made in america yeah and the idea it's it's uh we've adopted this culture that like clothes are just super disposable and we can produce them really cheap and really quickly and really low quality. And it's just a disposable turn and burn thing with a lot of quick fashion and clothing the world over. Right. And wool is the opposite of that. Wool is like, this is quality products made from quality ingredients that should not be disposable. Totally. These are, these are, uh, really valuable, have a long lifespan to them. Well, you, you know, we, I put my, I've put my gear through hell and back certainly. And I think that a lot of our consumers do and what they find is that they have a piece that's lasting them a very long time and they see no reason to change, maybe just to, to bring in new pieces to help bolster their kit. But, you know, at, speaking to the hunting community, we have customers that are runners, skiers, bikers, climbers, people just sitting at home. I mean, I'm wearing this t-shirt I wore to work and it's yeah. just comfortable and on a hot day, it's nice and, and light, but, um, you know, it's it, just because you stain your shirt with it with, you know, I'm sure you have pieces of clothing where you look and you're like that blood stain that I can't get out right there is from yeah. something that made me really excited. <laughs> Does that mean you need to throw it out? You know, like just because it doesn't look pristine anymore, you know, if, if the, if the product is still working at a performance capacity, you know, we also want to instill a value like that as well as you should, you should buy something and you should get its full, full use. And if it's maintained its life course over your lifetime, treat it like an heirloom piece. Absolutely. You know, we have heirloom pieces as well that we intend people to pass down to next generations. So tell, tell me a little bit about the product line and, um, yeah. how it, it's different from, you know, Krista, my lovely fiance was watching me take notes before this podcast and she was like man i i had no idea that there were wool products available that were light and breathable and for warm weather yeah and she was like i just thought everything was like the, my grandpa's itchy sweater right exactly and so yeah. how has that changed and what products are you able to uh develop and and sell today? Well, a lot of that starts with John Helly, who is our co-founder and a third generation rancher for uh, that, our operation out in uh, Dillon, Montana. And what he saw, he went to, um, to college at Montana State University. Me too. There you go. Shout out Bobcats. Go Cats. Um, he, what he saw was that the work that he was doing, the work that his family was doing was being lumped together into a commodities type system. So if you have a sheep rancher who's doing something out in Florida where it's a lot more temperate, there are a lot less natural predators, there's 
going to be a lot less work that gets involved than leading 10,000 sheep through the mountains of Montana and having a percentage that you need to survive, survive. So he got frustrated. He started working on his genetics. Um, and, and what he's done is made an outstanding genetic crop within our, within our flocks. Um, still pure Merino sheep, still pure. Well, they're Rambouillet Merino. So Rambouillet. It's a okay, they're crossbreed. basically large Merino sheep. Roger. Um, and when the idea for Duckworth, an American-made, Montana-grown uh, product, was presented to him, he had all the pieces in place to untether himself from that commodities market. So the reason we're able to have such a diverse product line um, is due in part to such um, nuanced textile development, but also the genetics involved. So when we look at our product line, getting back to your original question, we have uh, gear that's 150 GSM, which is what I'm wearing right now, the Vapor. What is GSM? That's grams per square meter. Okay. And so essentially you can look at that as sort it's of- the weight of the wool. It's the weight of the wool. It doesn't necessarily equate to thickness. It typically does, but it's just generally the weight of the garment that you're gonna end up being wearing. Um, and we have goods that are 100% Merino that get all the way up to 770 GSM. You know, so it's a huge swath. And those 770 GSM products, um, that's our Snowcrest line. That's that's bulletproof. I mean, our ranchers wear that out in the middle of a hailstorm, sleet storm, rainstorm over their other layers in lieu of a raincoat. Yep. You know, it just sloughs right off. I've dumped water directly onto that thing, that's, and it doesn't take at all. It just That's so cool. Yeah. That's so burly. It, it's amazing. I mean, I'm you, good. You picture, I mean, I've got a pair of wool pants I lion hunt in. Sure. And same thing yeah like i'll go into wet snow dry snow everything right and like my they're bomber yeah no matter what totally uh, even if they get wet i'm yeah. still good and that's that's kind of what i mean i have a pair of my dad's old wool rich pants yeah so sort of thing they're you know they're totally bulletproof yeah like a, a real heavy wool uh flannel exactly like that's what that the, that's people what the could snow picture. Crest is. it's like a shirt jack but yeah. it, i picture a super itchy wool and it's just not that way anymore. No. And you really, I mean, that would be such a dense shirt that you probably wouldn't be wearing it on its own anyway. But Against if you were, the skin. If you were to, it wouldn't be a problem. Right. You know, wouldn't, you wouldn't be sitting there thinking about your arms and your chest getting all scratched up by coarse ends. No. No. And that's just through uh, genetic selection. Totally. And just yep. perfecting. And, just, and, and quality fabric uh, textile development as well. That's part of it too, huh? Yeah, and you know, and the cleaning up of it. Yeah. Are there uh, like guard hairs and wool? Like, uh, I think of uh, an animal producing like like a beaver. A beaver has that top coat and yeah, guard hairs, and then uh, it's all really the same. Okay. I mean, if you if you look at a freshly shorn fleece, you can see that the outer layers certainly has a lot more grime. You know, it's almost like it creates its own. Think of like a patina, right? Sure. It's got sort of a patina on it, and hmm. inside is just like pure white yeah totally soft that ivory touch. exactly yeah exactly that ivory clip and so you know when we clean it we get out that all that dirt and the burls and all the stuff that they pick up from running around in the sage in the mountains but so back to the product line um it's hard and it's hard to believe that you would wear wool in hot weather but yep. some of the pieces duckworth makes are absolutely designed for super for sure. breathable hot weather for sure um wool like is no longer just for cold winter days. Well, that was just a, I, you know, that was a misconception that really is a new one. Cause if you think about it, we've been, we've been 
humans have been working with sheep for about 13,000 years. Yeah, that's crazy. And if you look at the shepherds in places where sheep, or at least the breed of sheep that we have since domesticated, which is the Middle East, if you look at those shepherds today, and for those entire 13,000 years, they'll be in blistering, you know, Middle Eastern desert heat wearing a wool robe, you know, a, a wool tunic, right? Because it keeps them cool. I, I promise you if there was a better way to stay cool, they would have figured it out over 13,000 years. <laughs> yeah. But we, you know, we have a cottonized system. Cotton is a wonderful textile as well. It has its time and place. Um, but it also has a lot of... It has a lot of downsides. A lot of downsides. Yeah. And so in a nutshell, uh, tell me the difference between cotton and wool. There's, there's so many to, I mean, for one, I mean, we, we talked about odor. We talked about water retention. I mean, I've been out and I'm sure you've been out in situations as well where suddenly the sky opens up on you. Sure. And if you are wearing a cotton t-shirt or a series of cotton layers, you will have that warm, like warmth zapped out of your body with. What's the old saying? Cotton kills. Cotton can kill you. Yeah. I mean, it can literally put you in a hypothermic state before you can really react. And it is, uh. You know, I was I was standing outside a couple Octobers ago. Uh, this was during the COVID days, and I was at a concert with a couple buddies. And I you were at a concert during COVID days. Well, it was that you know the the whole outdoor. You were part thing. of that alternative crowd, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Going to concerts during the middle of COVID for sure. Well, they still made us stand outside, and it was October in Montana, and I'm the you know smallest and and slightest dude in the crew. And my buddies are all sitting there being, we started getting rained on oh, and they're like, no they're way. like, we need to go inside, man. It's, it's, it's freezing out here. Like, You're like I'm kicking our ass. I was like, I, is it really cold? I didn't even realize, you know, and that's because they were sitting there wearing cotton. real life testimony. Exactly. And that was just a really easy side by side because for the most part, you know, when I go out, whatever I'm doing in the back country with other people, they're, they're wise enough to wear the the wool as well. Yeah. But, um, that was a real side by side comparison with dudes who have BMIs that are, you know, significantly mm -hmm. higher than mine. And you would think would have been able to stand out there a lot longer than I did. And I yeah. thought that was a pretty cool little accidental test. It's like super powers or something. It's truly really like harvesting a superpower. Yeah. This animal. Yeah. Yeah. Without, without killing the animal, without killing it and it's doing it crazy. You know, 10 to 12 times over. Um, before it naturally passes away. Yeah. I recently saw you guys were developing some insulated products with wool. Yep. Yeah. I'd never heard of this before. Yep. So you think of like a, a puffy jacket or an insulated jacket. It's either going to be traditionally down feathers mm -hmm. from a goose. Yep. Or a polyfill. Yep. And a uh, synthetic fill. Yeah. Which is just like plastic and nylon. Right. Uh, filling yep pillow fill mm -hmm. but you guys are starting to make puffy jackets with wool yeah yeah so that's our we call it a merino wool batting and essentially we take pieces of the wool clip that would otherwise be unusable because the the fiber length is just too short to actually be managed into a spinning the shear capacity. didn't get that slab it's just these the there's small. these little pieces that fall off totally you know and so you'll see them all over the floor of the shearing barn um and all these different pieces that normally would be chucked into the trash and we've turned it into a merino wool batting that has all the same properties that merino wool does. Um, and we're getting further use out of that animal and that animal's clip. But, you know, when you look at also a my wool cloud jacket, uh, which is... So that's that's the... the wool cloud. That's what yeah. we're talking about. That's probably... I mean, I, I, I say every piece is my favorite because I, you know, as the year goes on, I'm like, this is my favorite. I can and tell then, you what my favorite is. What's that? My boxers. Oh, yeah. My underwear. Yep. The vapor briefs. Dude. Yeah world class 
They are a game changer. If truly. you are not going on your backpack hunts, uh, if you're not wearing these vapor boxer briefs, you should be. Thank me later. Yeah. It is the the most comfortable, yep. longest lasting mm-hmm. uh, piece of of underwear I've ever had. It's it's funny because I will, you know, every once in a while we'll do a... Everybody wants to talk about the socks. Right. Wool yeah. socks, wool socks. The underwear is game changing. You know, we'll, we'll be doing some in-person sales during the summer and it can be totally hot there on Main Street when we have a booth set up. And I love... I love interfacing with customers in person, you know, being an e-commerce business, I don't always get the opportunity to do that, but I'll see guys walking by that are looking at our shop and they're sitting there and they're sweaty. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to be weird about it, but I'm sure you're a little wet and sweaty down there. I, I bet you got some swamp ass. Yeah. Going you on. got some swamp ass and here's the solution. And then the next day, you know, these will be people that are passing through town that are just visiting Bozeman and they'll come up to the booth again and be like, dude, I'm wearing them. Yeah. Holy shit. They're oh, it's amazing. Like it's a dream. Yeah. Oh, it's, I love them. I, I have worn, I have not worn another type of boxer brief. Yeah, I'm about in the same for boat. For three years. I, I don't know if I'm that. Con- not the that same pair. Con- right. Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. But I mean, I wear them to the gym. They're, they, they have a compression quality to them. I mean, God, I really I get them. a ton of use out of them. Yeah. My, my vapor hoodie and my socks and my briefs, those are probably like my most used pieces, but I've got several heavier pieces that I take, uh, backpack hunting with me and use throughout the winter yeah it's really how much you're planning on moving right but that's the thing too it's such a lightweight material you can shove it all into a backpack and bringing it back to the wool cloud as well um yes if if you where's that at yeah i pack that thing down to about the size of a softball really and it doesn't lose any of its loft you know it will unfurl when i pull it back apart and it doesn't have any compression whereas if you did that with a down jacket enough times i mean you're gonna break clump the the feathers yeah it's just gonna be clumpy and it's just not gonna have that same lofting capacity anymore yeah i don't i mean maybe i'm just living under a rock but i've never seen any brand do that it's new we're i mean we we definitely brought that to market i'm starting to see a couple other brands try to emulate it oh really i haven't tested their product i'm not gonna you know throw too much shade at them directly right now but you know it's it's what is it you know copycatting is the sincerest form of flattery yeah there you go yeah very cool yeah um tell me about product care and washing wool and what's what's your recommendation or what's the what's the rule of thumb on that that's kind of the hang up for a lot of people i think is that wool does require a bit more care than a cotton t-shirt or a synthetic the way that i've had it put to me from day one is that you wouldn't necessarily take your ferrari through the town you know Mm. car wash right you just wouldn't do that Great analogy. You you do that for your other cars, no problem. You don't really worry about it. You bang up your truck. I mean, I bang up my gear all the time, but at the same time, I want to make sure that it continues to last and have those performance qualities. So product care is very important. It is. You know, I, I have a couple products now that I've had for three years running, and I'm a lot less afraid of throwing them into the dryer by accident. And I've, I've pulled them out, and they've survived just fine, and they keep doing what they need to do. I mean, this one into a dryer, and I've had no problems here. So that's talk me through that what's the recommended uh is it piece by piece or just i guess if you were to put it in a nutshell how do you take care of wool certain pieces we recommend taking to a dry cleaner really you know certain pieces but i mean some luxury shit but that's if you're wearing it probably every day for three or four months Mm -hmm. you know because you just have no reason to really necessarily clean it right right unless you're kind of a germaphobe 
if it doesn't stink for me, it's going right back into my yeah, my good. bin, and then I pull it out the next day, and I know I'm wearing it skiing, hunting, running, whatever. So uh, the dry the dryer you could don't want to put problem. you generally don't want to put uh, wool into a dryer that, ex- that extreme heat. Yeah, if I'm picturing this correctly, the wool fibers would tense up. And yeah, they, the garment it, would it, get smaller. It, it can shrink. We try to you know we try to manufacture our goods so that in case there's an accident, it doesn't really happen. You can see this t-shirt still fits fine. Yeah, I mean it's just a reality of the of you, the textile. You I might guess, piss but. off your wife or girlfriend, but uh, essentially <laughs> what I would recommend is you know putting it on tap cold wash, if not a hand wash, and just letting it air dry over the back of a chair. Man, I, I wash my bloody backpack and game bags in our bathtub. <laughs> yep. I, I thaw out frozen pine martin and beaver in the bathroom over there. Yep. So I think I'd be all right. You you probably have probably put the do. bar high. This is a little bit of low, lower uh, yeah, barrier entry for you. Yeah, I created a strange reality here in Belgrade. It's a good one, though. Yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, and you, what did you call them? A, a heritage piece or like – you can an think of like piece. an heirloom yeah. piece. Like yeah. you, these are not disposable pieces of garment. We were so trained today in today's uh, clothing and textile production that clothing's disposable. Clothing's here today, gone tomorrow. And wool is the counter yep. uh, culture to yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, bringing it back to that wool rich pair of pants that my dad, you know, gave me, it's, it's kind of cool just on its face to think, you know, my old man was wearing this, oh, whatever so cool. he was doing out in the snow. And now I've got this pair of pants and they're still yeah, rock solid. And I don't really need to worry about the cold or what have you. And I think passing down a piece of clothing is, can have a lot of sentimentality to it. You know, the so same much. way you pass down like a rifle or a shotgun, right? Yeah, I was just going to make the comparison. Yeah. Like you got your grandpa's shotgun. Yeah. Be cool to have your grandpa's For sure. fleece. And, you know, I gave him a wash just to make sure, you know, my yeah. dad's sweat was out of it. <laughs> That's part of the part of the history. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's too cool. Uh, what uh, what's in the pipeline? What's what's the future of Duckworth look like? You're uh, are, did you already shear this spring? We have shorn. Shorn. Um, yeah, we shorn. We we sheared the sheep. Um, you know, we've got a couple new products in the hopper. One of the things that we were really excited about this past winter that we released was we worked with the uh, Sullivan Glove Company out in Oregon, and what they do is actually hunters will either donate hides. Yeah, buckskins. Yep. You know, deer, elk, bison, what have you. They'll donate those hides or they'll sell them to them. Um, and we've done a collab with them where we've actually lined those leather gloves, deerskin leather gloves with our with our powder fleece, uh, which is a really nice lofty. You can kind of compare it to just any pullover fleece type material. But Was it a final product, like a leather work glove, insulated weather? Like it's like a chore glove, yeah. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's solid. Um, we've got a couple other pieces in the hopper. I don't want to necessarily tip off. the. Hey, uh, man, I won't tell anyone. I don't want to tip it off. I don't want to piss off my production guys. But uh, we've <laughs> okay. got a couple cool new things happening. And um, – what what you know when i started again we were transitioning from a brick and mortar to an e-commerce business and so we were not necessarily a household name even in our own town um and part of my goal has been like let's just take what we have it's outstanding yeah you got a good thing we've got a great thing going let's make sure a lot more people know about it yeah and then once we've built up that massive base let's just let the line explode and i think the production guys have this year started to take a little bit off of that, you know, regulator and we're starting to innovate again in a much more meaningful way. Interesting. But yeah. early days for the company, we were at the behest of, you know, 
somebody out in Alabama that doesn't know our story at all and just is like, hey, here's this wool shirt. Do you want it? And we have a lot more control over saying, this is why this is the best. Yeah. This is the story that you're buying into. These are the values that you're helping to support. And we've seen year over year some serious growth. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking if I'm, if I'm looking back, 89% 2020, oh, 51% 2021. 22 percent last year and this year we're up about 100 percent year over year and it's it's not because we're price gouging you know it's not because we're saying here's a bunch of bullshit that you can buy it's because people are catching on and telling their friends being like i just was out in alaska i just was in the arctic i was down in patagonia i was in the mountains of montana and this thing saved my ass yeah i love you know a lot of a lot of my friends myself included are just gear junkies and there's no cooler piece of gear than wool like naturally grown wool fibers this is cool I'm as glad it to hear you say that because it can be hard to sometimes compete against like you know we've got this sort of like quicks down sort cutting of cutting like, edge exactly brand new it feels simple but it's the same way that everyone looks at an old chevy and like that thing's awesome i think it's, it's still running and it's still a beast i think it's cool I just would you say we've been we've been domesticating sheep and working with wool uh for thirteen thousand years yep so yeah. cool yeah and it's just as good it's better today than it's ever been it really has been and i i've asked the helis directly i'm like do you feel connected to that thirteen thousand years and you know they're they're you really the to. tip of the spear you know and they, i feel it, connected yeah. to wearing the shirt exactly and they're just like of course totally we, we we feel connected to this this human story that's god bless them really kind of started to die for some reason in the 70s with the proliferation of synthetics um, but people are catching on that this is something that you want to have. Yeah, it's not, but that's not just like a cool nostalgic thing. It's like it's be- be- it's yeah. better. It's the it's, best. It's thing. better. Yeah, it's, just plain it's like better. we lost sight of it. Maybe we look this misconception. Well, I think people people always go for technology, right? The newest, sure. flashiest thing always, for some reason, has appealed to people, and I think that's just human nature. Yeah, but sometimes we look in the mirror and say this is we've been doing this one's good yeah, this one why did we why did we move by, by that if it ain't broke don't absolutely fix it. yeah absolutely and i think today people generally are you know social media right people are starting to get pretty annoyed with it um it's it's interesting it used to be the world and i think it still is but people are like i'd love to step away from that sure. actually and move away and i think it's you can kind of look at it it's not a perfect analogy but just because something's space age and modern doesn't make it better. Sure. You know, it doesn't make it a superior experience. Very cool. Well, uh, if where can people find Duckworth products? You can go to, well, Schnee's, as we mentioned on Main Street. Want to throw those guys a look. Um, they're our sole retailer, and they've got a great selection down there. And Schnee's got it online, too. They've got it on their website as well. But uh, if you want to have, um, you know, the most reliable Uh, inventory direct yeah company direct yep direct to consumer and that's www.duckworthco.com and that's spelled d-u-c-k-w-o-r-t-h-c-o.com yeah it's a beautiful website and you guys' story is on there yeah Uh, you guys have a good blog you call your journal yep if i'm saying that right um and yeah the product this the product line is more diverse and uh full you know from neck gaiters to the best boxer briefs in the world, to hoodies, insulated jackets, uh, a, a pretty full woman's line. Yep, no doubt. Just yep. a lot of offerings. Yep, for sure. 
Well, exciting stuff. Thanks so much for uh, visiting with me, Mike. Absolutely. It's been teaching a us about wool. It's yeah, fascinating. I hope I did my best. There's a lot more to it. Oh, well. I know. 13,000 years of it. Yeah, you can go down a rabbit hole real quick. Yeah, no doubt. Never thought I'd know this much about wool, but. Uh, it's impressive. Oh, thanks, man. Well, very good. I hope uh, to see you at next spring's, you know, sheer and shred. Absolutely, man. We'll have to kick it. All right. Very good. Thanks, Mike. Take care.